Hello and welcome to the Women in Tech and Radio podcast. My name is Camille and I'll be your host. I'm a guerrilla marketing manager at David Systems, which is an enterprise software company in audio. We're based in Munich, Germany. I'm very excited about this podcast, which will consist in a series of interviews with great women in tech. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to this uh, newest episode of Women in Tech and Radio. And thank you for joining today, Veronique. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Camille. It's really uh, great that you invited me. Uh, I've listened to your podcast and I always admire women who fight for you know, their position and position of women. I've worked in the technology industry for a long time. I joined Apple when it was a very young company. Then I moved on to Lotus Notes. A lot of people may not know, but it was very innovative at the time. That was the beginning of uh, the internet and the World Wide Web. Uh, then in 2000, I moved on onto Cisco Systems, um, where I started being director for strategy and planning. But then I moved on managing technical services and decided also to um, go and work abroad. And uh, I was very lucky, and that's been a great experience in my life, to work in uh, Sydney, uh, Singapore, and also San Francisco. And then I decided to move back to Europe, and I started a um, worldwide digital tour where I explored how the digital ecosystem were working and decided to write a book about it and help companies shape uh, their own digital ecosystem. I also invested in a few startups and uh, I mentor startup and uh, I also sit on some boards of startup as a strategic advisor. So in a nutshell, I hope I've not been too long, but this is what I've done and what I'm doing. It's okay when you have a diverse experience, it's okay to take time to explain everything. <laughs> Yeah. You worked uh, a lot in tech then. Did you have a technical background? Initially, not at all. Uh, actually, my initial background is uh, in literature. I studied English and German, and I'm a certified interpreter. So I joined Apple totally by chance at the time. They were so new, they actually didn't hire technical people. They hired, well, they did hire technical people, but they also hired people who wanted to learn. So I learned a lot on the job and then I also retrain, but more on business side. And I graduated and did a um, professional degree with a business school in France called uh, ESSEC and gradually a lot, a lot of technical stuff on the job. But actually my skill has been to work well with brilliant engineers. So I'm a woman in tech, but not a real techie or geek. And what was your specific role at Apple, actually? Oh, at Apple, I joined first as uh, assisting the uh, creation of the technical support. So I, it was really a junior job. I joined a company there and I learned so much. And that was the time where you could make extremely quick career if you were, you know, uh, very curious and hardworking. So uh, I ended up Uh, being actually a European technical project manager after seven years. So really starting from scratch and building up my career there. 
Was it something you wanted to be bridging kind of like the technical department and the business department? At the time, to be honest, Camille, I feel sometimes very ashamed when I listen to a lot of people who've built their career and decided to do ABC and they wanted to get there. I must admit, in my case, it was more seizing the opportunity and doing stuff because I love them. So I used my skill very opportunistically and listened to people who believed in me and were encouraging me in some direction. And if I deeply felt it was the right one, then I went ahead and did it. So I didn't really have a career plan where I know it's maybe not a good thing. I know you should, but I never had. I'm not sure you should. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a debate. I always did things because I really loved them. Of course, before making big decisions, I thought about it. But like when I wanted to go and work and as an expatriation, honestly, this is something I wanted to do more for a personal experience than to grow my career. It happened that both happened, but I always put forward what I really love doing. Yeah. So you mentioned you worked in a lot of diverse places. So actually, did you do it to embrace the different cultures, like not only of the different companies, because you switch companies quite a bit, but also of different countries? Did you learn from these experiences? Yes, indeed. So one thing I found out was that no matter where I was going, once you were in the technology world, there was, uh, for me, a common culture. So... Working in uh, American companies and more specifically Californian companies, wherever you went, you had kind of a company culture, a foundation and things I really love like innovation, promoting skills and competencies versus status. So that was kind of a common ground. Uh, now, one of the most enriching experience I had was really to work in Singapore, where I was managing the whole of technical services there for all of um, Southeast Asia. And uh, that was going from, uh, you know, Thailand, all the Southeast uh, Asian countries up to India. And my team had really a lot of various nationalities and with culture very, very different from mine. And I must admit, in terms of leadership skills and understanding and adapting my style, that has been the most wonderful and impacting experience for the rest of my life. That's nice. Because actually the Asian culture in general, professionally, is very important as well. It is. And I think the mistake that uh, quite a few people make in the Western world is we say Asia. And actually, within Asia, there are a lot of different cultures. For example, an Indian and a Chinese have little in common in terms of culture and way of working and managing people. And same thing for Southeast Asia. A Thai is very different from a Vietnamese, and very often they don't get along. So I did realize that when I arrived in Asia, that actually this concept of Asia is very Western and kind of, a, you know, I was very ignorant, even in terms of geography. So assuming that it is a big group of people and they're all the same and they think the same is very, very wrong. And that's also something I learned while working there. Okay, let me rephrase that. Yeah. Asian cultures. Yes, exactly. 
plural, very plural. I'm learning stuff on this podcast as well. <laughs> Great. So with all these different experiences, not only in terms of companies, but also in terms of countries, how did you experience diversity differently? So there is cultural diversity. I must say I am a feminist and I've always been and I'm not afraid of being one and I continue to be one and, and very active. I think it's still very difficult in terms of gender diversity, even in our technical companies. Of course, it's improving. However, this is something I had to fight for and I did struggle with all of my career. I realized at some point, even without knowing that I was paid less than my male colleagues, even at senior position. So I did lead, especially at Cisco, gender diversity program to make sure that at least I was contributing. And I'll give you an example. Very often in these technology companies, when I was hired for a new role, I was very often the only one woman in the room. and. The more senior I got, I really made sure that uh, when I left the position, uh, there was a significant increase in the number of women in the team. So, you know, cultural differences, yes, but gender diversity is still something as women and as women leaders, in my mind, we have a responsibility to improve. Do you think it should only come from women leaders? No, of course not. And that's a very good point you make, Camille. I must say I change over the time. I was very active at some point in my career in Cisco, engaging women, making them understand they had a seat at the table and so forth. Today, I think there is a change, a shift and a lot of men are also concerned and they are also activists in terms of promoting women, making sure that everybody has an equal chance. And you're right. I think we don't have to fix women and we have to make sure that everybody is involved to make the workplace an equal place for everybody. Yes. I'm mentioning this because I know there are workshops and conferences and companies where they say, okay, we're focusing on diversity. This is for women. There's the International Women's Day, but then everything happens on that day and there's no long-term actions being taken. Yes. Because you give this one day to women and it's supposed to be great, but in the end, the effects are not very lasting. Yes, correct. Sometimes it's a bit like greenwashing, right? Yes. Uh, you say all the good things. However, I'm an optimistic and I've seen a lot of things change that with really policies and strategies and KPIs, where companies really want things to change. They hire differently. They uh, retain women or, you know, people from a diverse background, and it's more of a long term. So I do think, see things change. And, and back to your point, I think the most, I would say, reassuring change is that I see a lot more men really fighting for this type of diversity. Currently, I'm a member, a board member of a, a French group association, which is called Pink Enough, and fighting for gender diversity, but with men. So we have a lot of uh, male members and that's promoting innovation across genders. And I find that's the right way to go. 
if we do it on our own, then we're never going to succeed. Yes, that's a great example, actually. Mm. So why is diversity important to you, not only in your professional life, but also in your daily life? I think on my daily life, because I'm a curious person, I love to learn. And I cannot envisage how you can really grow and learn without having diverse opinions, different data points. I don't think then you can really improve yourself. I always try to be a better person, today better than yesterday. And if I don't have a multiplicity of uh, data point, information, different point of views, debates, then I'm never going to be able to do that. Actually, I'm going to deprive myself of a lot of good things. For the professional side is because I'm very passionate about innovation and how you innovate. If you have the same people who just look like you, think like you, you're not going to come up with very creative ideas. It's just not possible. Doesn't make good business sense. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes where I go to some cities, and maybe it's not politically correct to say that, but I happen to go, you know, in some cities that are more provincial. And for me, living in a very cosmopolitan city, I said, I have this uh, physical feeling that something's missing when I don't see different kind of people. It's like, To a point of boring, I feel there's a dimension missing there if I don't see differences. So actually diversity is not only dependent on national culture, but also where you are. Is that what you mean? Well, what I mean is, and sorry, I'm not being clear. I'm lucky to live in Brussels, which is a very cosmopolitan city. And sometimes when I travel, you know, to more smaller cities, like in France, for example, where you don't have this mix of languages, of races, I feel there's something missing. Yes, okay. In that environment. But, but just only by the look of it. It's like my brain thinks, where is everybody else? Yeah, agreed. I think it's, we're quite lucky in Europe because if you travel, it's quite easy to counter quite diverse people and diverse backgrounds. You know, the thing is in Europe, you can have a lot of diversity around you or diverse people. The question is, do you listen to who they are, what they have to say? That's another question. You can live in your little island surrounded by a lot of diversity. I think that's what strikes me as well, that very often Europeans live in their comfort, in their way of thinking, a lot of young people do expose themselves to different mindsets. My point is it's not because you're surrounded with different people. If you don't try to understand and communicate with them, you also may live on your little island with people who are the same as you are and you know having the same conversation and so forth. So yes and no, Europe is diverse. Now, do all Europeans exchange and talk to each other? I'm not sure. Okay. What do you think we can do, not only as individuals, but also as companies, as groups, to improve this, to tackle diversity and to actually see a change? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's everybody's responsibility. In a company, I think if you make 
the environment safe, for example, if you as a you know, young professional, Gami, you're exposed to something you feel is derogatory or, you know, like not a bad joke, but something that's not nice. I think if the company culture is here that you can call it out and say, well, you know, actually I find I'm not comfortable with this and this is why. And that everybody is going to listen to you and at least acknowledge. I think this is a great start. So how do you enable this company culture where people feel safe to express themselves and, and feel that they, they have some space to be who they are, you know, and be recognized as who they are and respected as who they are? For me, this is the basics. Don't know if it's a bit too generic. And, and then, of course, depending on where you are, it's um, promoting teamwork with different team across functions. Because when people get to know each other, get to do things together, then it becomes a lot more fluid. Fluid in what sense? Uh, fluid, it's because I think talking is one thing. Actually, action is a lot more powerful. So, meaning if you have a lot of talk on, you know, we are a diverse company, but actually you work in silos, people don't exchange, they don't work together across function, then it's going to stay all talk, no action. Does it clarify? Yes. Actions are louder than words. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And in the job place, I can think of one powerful way is to blend people in teams and make them do something constructive for their customers, the company, because it generates good feeling and, you know, people then respect each other and appreciate each other. Yeah. It sounds simple, but I believe in simple things every day. Yes, <laughs> that's good. So what would be your advice to any young woman or young girl who wants to start a career in the STEM field? You know, I feel that actually I have more to learn from them because what I appreciate in most young women, I, I work with a lot of young people and young women. There are not enough in the startup world. I have too few CEOs. What I appreciate and I would encourage everybody, but most of them I've seen they're fearless. They don't think this is not for me or I am a woman. And I would really encourage them to keep being that way. I personally admire them because I know that when I was young, probably felt a lot more restriction, right? Because of my education and so forth. But I admire you young women, you go-getters, as we say in Americans. You're not afraid. And I think it's important not to be afraid. Have your seat at the table. You're good. You're qualified. And very often women think they are less qualified than other people, which is not true. So I think it's really take your seat at the table and make your voice heard. I think this younger generation does that a lot more than we did. And personally, I admire that a lot. So keep going and don't be afraid then. Yes, yes, absolutely. And don't let 
you know, men sometimes, I mean, whether they are your age or older men, talk over you or steal your ideas to repeat them. So what we call the manslaying, you know. So spot all these attitudes and fight them because it is not right and it should not happen. So I'm not saying in an aggressive way, but firm. Why should a guy repeat what you just said or conclude a debate because he's the guy in the room? I think it's important to catch all these micro inequities and fight them because that's how, in a very soft way, good things are taken away from women in, on the job place. So it is important that young women are aware of them and spot them early and make everybody understand that they're not going to be fooled. Would you like to add anything? Well, I find that what you do, the type of thing you do is just act in your sphere. And, you know, doing a podcast on STEM and women in STEM is just great. And it's going to inspire other women and other guys. So kudos to you, Camille. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you for joining today. And guys, we'll see you next time for the next episode of Women in Tech and Radio.